Welcome to the Bitcoin Podcast, episode 210. I'm your first host, Marcello. That's right. Uh, I'm host number two, coming at you, your boy, D. And I am host number three, Dr. Corey Petty, in the house. Yeah, That's right. I think I'm going to start doing the whole doctor thing. I think I'm gonna think I'm gonna just start doing it. See what happens. I think you're gonna grow into it, bro. I think I it's one of those things. I don't like it. It feels weird. It feels like I'm trying something on that I shouldn't be wearing. Where's your tweed and your pipe? I have a tweed jacket. I do not have Where's a pipe. Your pipe. Don't have a pipe. We need to get you a pipe. A good, we need to get you a custom TVP network pipe. As long as it's yeah, I want one of those. That'd be sweet. I'll do that. I'll I'll right. take up smoking for that. And make it's, sure you gotta you gotta puff it. <laughs> it's weird though because if like if you're on a plane and someone like collapses and they're like is there a doctor in the house and you're like i'm a doctor but not that kind of doctor <laughs> computational theory and then you sit back down can't do any of that yeah. stuff but yeah and then he dies just so you know all i would do is say do the shit you see in the shows i don't know what to do <laughs> put some pressure on it he's yes. just coughing put some pressure on his throat <laughs> Got some calculations <laughs> that need to be done. I'll do some calculations. Yeah. Um, today's special episode. Today we're brought to you uh, by Levi's Jeans. You know, out of um, all the time that I spend during the week doing work for this podcast, I never actually spend any time looking for sponsors. I should probably do that. I think we should just like dedicate a day to it because I feel like we could present our listeners with good companies. Uh, Outside of the announcements realm, but nevertheless, um, we still do it. So cool. What do you want to talk about today? What do I want to talk about today? I don't know. Cello, you and Cello were going on about something that was really good. I'm still kind of trying to, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, get clarity around what I wanted to discuss. And I think it'll like reveal itself while we start talking about what you guys were discussing. So okay. why don't we go into that shit? I'm just coming off of just the header. So my head's just full of like the price is going up. Price is going down. Banks like it. Banks love it. Banks hate it. The same, the news is getting the same. I'm starting that, to notice trends. You didn't talk about McAfee getting that hit on him. Landed oh, that's nobody, the real news. Nobody cares. I, I censored that because McAfee's a fucking goon, and I can't stand <laughs> that guy. Like, I really can't. The guy who spiked his drink couldn't stand him either. Oh, nobody spiked his drink. He's just a goon. <laughs> he's just like his brain is mush, and he's done so much drugs. He's just a goon. Like I, I got nothing for McAfee. 
I know a lot of people like him, but uh, to me, he's just a goon. He's just just a goon. Um, but you guys go ahead. You guys are talking about something that's very, very interesting. Go ahead, Charlie. Uh, yeah, so what I was talking about, and I kind of get uh, you know, Corey's outlook, because I, I might like lack a little tact on this outlook, but whenever we're in a, a bear market, the developers rejoice because they feel like the price is a distraction and they can get back to building. And I just think that's a very nonsense, nonsensical, is that a word? A nonsensical stance because you can build whether we're in a bear market or a bull market. They're just, they're trying to downplay the fact that price isn't important. When price is going to bring mass adoption, whether you want to believe it or not, it ain't going to be revolutionizing healthcare or improving the voting system or decentralizing ride sharing, it, it's going to be price. And I feel like the developers only care about building. And I, I don't know. I, I just, I feel like it's a false fake stance because they'll be delegitimized if they care about the price. Or like we talked to Jimmy Song and he was like, oh, I really hate going to meetups because with common people, because all they do is talk about price. But when I'm with my people, you know, we can talk about nodes and sharding. And I'm just like, well, why can't we just talk about both? Why Why does talking about price have to be so juvenile and distracting? Why can't we just talk about everything? We can talk about everything. It's just not the like the primary motivation for builders. I mean, it's it's definitely a motivation. Don't 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 get it twisted and think that they don't care about price whatsoever. They just don't want it to dominate the conversation. They like it, it, it from my perspective understanding how this stuff moves, how it changes, what it affects, how it like changes the way people interact with each other. Mm-hmm. Thinking about new shit that I can do later on down the line that I couldn't do before or taking power away from people or monetizing the things that I'm doing already doing, spending my time using the technology that currently exists gets me excited. And that's, that's what brought me here in the first place. It's, or at least what, what captivated me mostly once I got kind of in initially from the price. But there's an important aspect of like, there's only like you said this just a little while ago, like the developer community is probably the smallest section of the entire community. There's a lot of people who do care about yeah. price, who are trading, who are trying to like invest properly, um, who are like, you know, just jumped in and don't know what's going on and want to make sure that they recoup their money from the losses they made when they bought Bitcoin at $20,000. Like, there's a lot of people like that, that, can't really contribute to the conversations about all the stuff I just said because they don't understand the technology quite yet or they don't they don't care. But that subsection of people that does care are the ones that are running the show. Like they're the ones that are making sure that the services that people interact with are actually working. They're the ones um, making sure that when someone signs up to Coinbase, they can do so and get their get their coins or whatever. They're the ones who are actually running the companies, not making decisions, but making sure that the companies that are currently in existence continue to run. And when you have these massive bull up, bull markets, or sorry, bear market, bull markets, when the price goes up, you have this just huge influx of new people. And then you stress your, you basically stress test your system in all, in all shapes and forms. You stress test the underlying foundation, the blockchain systems, you stress test what your application does on top of that thing. And 
all of your attention, every single bit of it has to has to be focused on making sure that you can handle the, that that news those new users and all of the questions that they're asking is um, what happens if I lose my private keys? It's like it's the fundamental stuff that you've taken for granted and have understood for long periods of time, and you've probably already answered those questions hundreds of times to all the people that you 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 know tried to on ramp and talk to, and through the years of being a you know. An enthusiast, you've answered these questions over and over and over again. But every time we have one of these new bull runs, we have a massive influx of new people who need to ask the exact same questions because they need to figure out what's going on and they need to be educated and things like that. And so all of that stuff you actually care about as a developer, you don't get to do anymore because you have to do your job. And that's just part of the equation. And so that's, it gets I mean, frustrating. That's one aspect. That's that one it, aspect. And so when, when it's when it's down, all those people go away because like look at our, our our numbers are down. It's not because we've stopped producing good content or have have been lazy and not produced anything at all or the quality has gone down. It's because a lot of those people who jumped in, who got excited initially when the price went up, have walked away because the price isn't up anymore. And mm-hmm. it's a good portion of them just just they're just they're just doing something else. But I I, I Go ahead, Jill. I just, I just, I like that is a valid point. My, uh, I don't know, my grievance with it is, is the people that say that, oh, well, the community is blinded by numerical price increases by checking their blockfolio or Vitalik saying, you know what, I'm just going to withdraw from the community if you keep talking about the price. And I feel like the only people that have that stance are people that already have the money. They don't care about the money. Like, w- like why are we pretending like we don't want a whole bunch of money? I thought you were gonna say "Blinded by the Light," like that song. Blinded by the light, like like Vitalik wants to steer the community in the right direction. Sorry, Vitalik, you have like nine hundred billion Ethereum, so of course you don't care. And he's probably at this mode where he can't even relate to the common person anymore. You know, should like he? It, it, should he? Yeah, like the Vitalik not giving away Ethereum buterin bullshit. You should give away Ethereum. You have all of it. You don't need he it. Doesn't have all of it. He doesn't have anywhere near all of it. I don't know. I think he's been elevated sure. to the point of making 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 big decisions and talking to people who can influence this space. I'm pretty he, sure Lubes. His time should not be wasted answering simple questions. Because I agree with that. I agree with that. So why should he? Why should he? He be relatable. He spends every waking moment trying to make sure that the thing that he created is going in the right direction. And when people walk up and say, can you talk to me about private keys? Or like, hey, what what coin should I buy? I, I would punch somebody right in the fucking face if they said that to me and I was Vitalik. You would punch them in the face? You go to jail for assault. Probably. But it's like, that's how I would feel inside. <laughs> like that's, that, would be, that would be like the ultimate, like, you don't, you don't get it. Like, you don't, you don't respect what I'm doing here. Because you're asking me some dumb questions like, what coin should I buy? And it's just, it's so... Yeah. It's so surface level. I don't give a shit about all the things that are happening in this space, especially if you got in early and you really care about the ideology behind why we're doing this, like the disintermediation, any of the things that people actually Mm -hmm. cared about when they first got in. If you're getting in only to figure out what coins to buy and you ignore all that stuff, it's really annoying to the people who actually give a shit about like the quote unquote movement that's happening. I mean, why are we even asking them though? Like, if if I couldn't access my iPhone, I'm not emailing Steve Jobs. 
You know, I'm, if my Tesla's broke, I'm not emailing Elon Musk. Well, if you like, see we shouldn't at, even be bothering Vitalik with these questions. If you saw him, well, what you just mentioned are two. Would you, what you just mentioned are two companies, two centralized, two central entities that doesn't exist. That doesn't exist in our community in the best way possible. In that there is no centralized entity, and it's a gift and it's a curse because you could unfortunately go to someone who feeds you a bunch of bullshit, and then you end up losing a lot of money. Or most fortunately, you go to people like us, or you go to people like Griff, or you go to people like Jameson Lop, and you get great information, right? But that's the nature of the beast. That's why we're going to them, Cello, is because we live in the day and age. I, I tweeted Ja Rule the other day, all right? So it's at least a thousand times easier to tweet Vitalik than it is Ja Rule and expect a response. I, I mean, I'm, it is. I'm not going like, to lie. I mean, the, it is. Price is important. It's an, it, it is a fundamental aspect of how this stuff works and what's going to make it work. And it is a big portion of what the adoption curve like operates on. Yeah. And it's very funny. It's like, Cello, uh, when you say, like, no one cares about what you're building if the price is down. Well, the irony is the same. No one cares about what they're building if the price is up. They only care about what kind of value they can get out at the beginning and the end most times. So... There is no amount of care that the only amount of pure care is coming from the developers and then the slightly larger core community of them outside of the developers, and that's the investors. And that's where the care is coming from. Nobody, the traders don't give a shit about what developers are doing. They don't care at all. And then the retail investors, which is probably a larger group than traders, and we saw that at the end of last year, they definitely don't give a damn what the developers are doing whatsoever and users are going to care less because they don't give, they're just using shit and not knowing what it does. So. Yeah. But I mean, if, if your token is high in value, people, that's going to uh, attract the initial wave of GPPs that can find out more about the company. You know, like I learned about fun tokens first and then when it went up in value, I was like, Oh, well let me check out what this company does. Now no one gives a shit about fun because their tokens worth two cents. As yeah, compared but, to 36 cents six months ago. What you're saying, that C word company, that's an emergent property of this entire industry within the last 18 months. Company wasn't a thing. It was just all these decentralized groups of people. Like status isn't a company. It's just a gang of people that love status token and are building on top of status. That's Golem is the same. Like I think maybe now they may have some sort of entity that they consider a company, but it, that's not what it is. Consensus is trying so damn hard not to be a company. It's funny, but they have like hundreds of employees all over the world. Thousand, like at a, at a certain point, they don't anymore. No, I said one thousand. They got a thousand employees, man. At, at a certain point, you got to stop trying to sell that Kool Aid that you're some kind of decentralized hub and spoke entity and just have a damn company. A thousand people, like I mean. It, that's you know if, if I'm wearing a Funfair polo and I'm at a conference representing Funfair and they write me my paychecks, I work for Funfair. True. I mean, no, you don't. Yeah, you decentralized or not, yeah, it, it, it's a company. You know what I mean? Okay, that's that's what I'm saying. Is like that's a new that's an emer that's a new thing. Yeah, having well, a company, I, there's no Bitcoin let's, company. Let's not either. let's not let's not overdo it here, right? I mean, the vast majority of the tokens out there are just regular companies with a with a token. Your securities. Let's not. I let's said not, it. 
let's not make it look like this this thing is happening it's working all the way and i think that's another aspect is that like i understand that we're really far away from what the potential of this is and so the only thing that really matters to me is making sure that we keep building so that we can get to that potential because if we're just complacent now and it's just this kind of thing that's out there that kind of works for some edge cases then this this was all for nothing mm -hmm. and so like let's let's make sure that we keep growing this and building it and doing it in the right way so that we can get to the potential that we set out to do in the first place and that's that's the most important thing and like what token to buy right now is not important in my in my mind yeah i want to make some money yeah i'd like to kind of like make myself more secure in my life but i only want to do that so that i can focus on building more stuff like i don't want to have to care about money i'm i may be mm. i may be in a minority of, of people for that but money is just a means to an end and if i didn't have to think about it at all whatsoever i'd be super happy and so just well, no, you would be you would be super annoyed by people that care about money that's what I'm saying. I What's more important right now is for me to quadruple my investment than wait six years for a decentralized company to come to fruition. We don't know. There's like nothing. Status isn't built. Bat's not built. How do you define investment? Well, I'm saying if I if if I can put in five hundred dollars on Bitcoin and it can get me two thousand dollars, that's something real that it can happen in the next five to six months. These so, builders, there's no finish line for any of the building. So that's what's not more what? That's not by definition investing. That's by definition. Well, I know. I, in this, yeah, in the speculative volatile market, that's the only thing that is like definitive right now that you can well, invest. What? It's really fucking hard. It's, it's, it's not. Really, that's not definitive. It's really hard. Building to build takes so much longer than quadrupling your money in the space. All right. Well, if, if if everyone focused on quadrupling their money, then nothing would get done, and you wouldn't be able to quadruple your money because nothing changes, and everyone would just leave. Like Let me ask do. you this logic, Cello. If you had the opportunity to put some money in on equity of a casino or go put your money on black, which one would you do? Uh, equity in a casino. All right. So all of your arguments are moot. I don't want to. I don't want to hear any more of it. I'm just. I'm just saying we've been in this space for. <laughs> we've been in this space for like eight years. And the stupid hashtag build. We ain't nothing completed. Everyone's just building shit. I'll, I'll agree that there's there should be more stuff that is, uh, I guess done. Maybe I think a lot of the early projects were way too lofty, uh, and and re with respect to the amount of stuff that could get done at that time, and so they just basically set a, a roadmap for like fifteen years off, and then made a shitload of money up front, right? And now mm -hmm. we're like, you know, a year two years down the line or like, Hey, where's all that stuff you promised? Because, and they're like, Oh, yeah. we can't do that yet. That's we're nowhere even close to that. Technology's not ready for that. Yeah. And like two years of ago, I did, I did all this research uh, on these companies and bought all these tokens. And now two years later, I'm just a foolish bag holder with all these dumb companies that were vaporware or phased out. Or you just need to be patient. I mean, maybe you just buy Tron. I, you no. know, I didn't. I didn't buy a Tron seriously. I mean, I got some, but he, he, he yeah, that's kind of a meme. Did that token. as a joke. He did that as a joke. The, the Tron is the Doge. Tron is the Doge no, of the latest adoption. Fair. No, Tron is Tron is a fake piece of shit with a mass media hype. It, yeah, 
Doge is like a community of people. I would say. Oh, um, okay. So the I think I've, you guys have helped me flesh flesh out is that I think that I'm going to list off some groups of people and I think that they're inversely related. And by that, I mean the number of people in this group is small, yet the level of adoption and open-mindedness and passion they have for the industry is large. So that first group is developers. They're the smallest group, but they're most likely to adopt things like submarine swaps that Corey and I found out about most recently, right? Because they just want to play around with it. They just want to see what it does. And if it does work great, they're going to, they're going to tell everyone how awesome they are. And then the next group I'd say is investors, not traders, not retail investors, like people who are committed and who have put money and a little bit of emotional skin in the game. Investors are somebody say they're going to put their money and passion into something for five years and then re refactor that money. Right. So that's an invest. In my opinion, an investment is something that's a five to 10 year commitment to an entity, whatever that may be. Uh, and those people I consider to be myself to be one of those people. Just because I don't have the skill sets to code, but I mean, I've, I'm obviously living that Bitcoin life. I don't think anyone could refute that. I think the next group is traders. So they're getting further and further away from giving a damn. But it's just there's so many of them. I know there's so many of them because I go look on Twitter and this random dude trading will have like 234,000 followers and getting 4,000 retweets about saying stuff like, I bought the dip. Look at me with my French onion dip. I bought it. And it's like, okay, obviously he doesn't care about the industry, but, you know, and then I think then it comes retail investors. Like they read about it in a magazine and they went on coinbase.com and they put a thousand bucks down and hopefully that thousand bucks pays for a nice vacation for their family one day. You're missing a group of people. I know. I'm just trying to flesh it no, out. I, I think. Oh yeah. Okay. Well, there's a there's a group of people that are also on. I would say the builder level, maybe slightly above them. It's, so is that in between developers? It's. Well, they, yeah. They, they they contribute to the projects and they do all the things that builders can't, and make sure that those projects, you know, have a clear form of communication, are, are well organized, aren't aren't burning through their money. Or doing things properly, you know, and or have good outreach and make sure that they're reaching the people they should be reaching. There's a lot of other stuff that goes around, like building on blockchain that isn't like incredibly technical. That there's a large group of people that actually care that can't code that or want to help and contribute, and they they need like they need to be in, included in that group because it's not just about the people who like understand how to code the technology it's about all the people that care just as much that don't code that also contribute and well you call that group i don't know like i call them builders too what'd you say jello dreamers let them dream (laughs) but i mean like it and that's kind of what this is about right if you're if you're if you're tired about the investment that you made not doing something then contribute to that project so it's better and hopefully the price goes up. They get they get closer to that thing that you invested into. If you're not investing into something you actually believe in, then I don't give a shit. Like 
Like, who cares if you lost your money? It's your fault. You didn't do it either. You didn't do enough due diligence on what you're doing. Or you don't really care. You're just trying to make money. And uh, then it's like, uh, then, then, then you belong to investing into anything out there. And it's not about blockchain. It's just, this, it's just about you want to make money. So you're not a part of the blockchain community. You're just using the blockchain community to make money. You're important because we need that money to fuel a lot of the projects that are happening. But mm -hmm. you can't consider yourself a blockchain enthusiast if all you do is just buy blockchain stuff. I think this space desperately in between developers and builders and investors needs uh, like a, a SWAT team of marketers. Like a straight up elite marketer class. Talk to because I, I was, I was, uh, yeah, maybe we should get him back on. And now that we don't have ball sack uh, busting our balls every week, we can continue on with Jeremy. That was annoying. I'm glad that guy's gone forever. I know you're Great. listening, boss. I know you're listening, boss. Huh? Um, Does anybody know what car Vitalik drives? They probably don't know. Uh, car doesn't even drive. It's probably a smart car. I oh, bet you. Anyways, um, <laughs> the reason I say that is because um, typically I have a, a, a small level of disdain for marketers. However, I was watching Explained, which is probably one of my new favorite docu-series on Netflix. And it explained the stock market this last week. And it said what the stock market has turned into is none of the prices you see are real. The prices are a reflection of the story surrounded by that stock. And that was actually a theory invented by Keynes, Keynes, Keynesian. I see that all the time. And Keynesian. I was like, Keynesian, Keynesian. I see it all the time. And I was like, this Keynesian thing. I'm just going to act like I know what it means and not put myself on front street. But then I now I figured out what it is. And so if that's the case, and then if you have people like myself who consider yourself myself an investor, the stories behind some of these projects need to be a little bit louder and prouder. Um, and like you said, Corey, we can't we can't let that responsibility lie on the shoulders of people who are hunkered down in the sand, worried about their their ERC 832 standard. They're not going to be able to tell their story because they've been staring at code for months. Well, why don't we let the marketer talk about this? You know, so this is, we're talking to you. Yeah, uh, I want to know why you have a disdain for marketers. <laughs> uh, it's just a small disdain because sometimes when you're talking to a marketer, it's like it's just like um, I imagine it's it's. I feel like they have to tell stories so much and not a hundred percent of those stories are rooted well. And so they can lose themselves in a cloud of nothingness. And then, so when you talk to them, you get infected with that cloud of nothingness and all the con the conversation just seems vapid. Like you started talking and you stopped talking and nothing happened. I know who you're talking about and he does not represent all of marketers. No, you don't know who I'm talking about. I've talked to a lot of marketers in my day. Okay. Um, hey, re repeat the question. I lost my train of thought. The question was... Uh, I don't think there was a question. I don't think there was a question. I think what, like, it, it's a, there's a fine line here because there's 
you can go too far with marketing. You can't really go too far with developing. And that's and that's in how you craft your story, right? Because if you go too far, mm-hmm. you end up being like you end up enabling those situations that Cello was just complaining about, and that like people bought something and expected an outcome sooner than what was actually realistic, because they got sold a story that wasn't necessarily accurate. And then yeah. but you but you have to have marketers because you have to be able to craft or understand the people that you should be reaching and craft your message so that they receive it, or at least you can get it to them so they can receive it and care. There's a lot of important things about how you say what you're doing and how you reach those people. And even if you understand the people you should be reaching, it's a lot like a lot of applications are maybe too narrow focused on the types of people that they care about, the types of people they should be reaching out to. When in fact, there's a whole other community that would care about what they're doing and they don't even think about it. And that's what marketing does. But if you go too far with that, you're selling snake oil. And I think what you hate or the disdain that you hate, D, is, the, is, the, is all those snake oil salesmen that just that just will say whatever it takes to sell a product. And that's all they say. And so it's no longer a real conversation with a human, but a machine that will repeat what he's been told to say. Well, in the space, they have to talk that way because everything is a pre-order. So when a marketer is building marketing copy for these crypto companies, they have to focus on the outcome that the product produces. They talk about the joy it brings, the freedom it'll bring, the pain it will solve. And they have to make up these stories and they have to sell you the snake oil because it's not out there yet. So they can't tell you how great it is. They can't give you analytics on sales. Everything is the vision. They can only slide you a copy of the vision. That's it. Why is it the marketer's job to sell the company's vision? Google didn't sell me on their vision. Well, it's not. This is not the way. Like we set out to do something. It was. This is the result of the ICO boom. This is. Oh yeah. Right. This is the we people the 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 last massive bull run was because people were so excited about all these tokens and the potential to make money off all these tokens. But guess what? Almost every single one of these tokens was exactly what Chella was saying, selling the future and not with, with zero product. And that like mint like sentiment just like kind of took over and we forgot about the things that actually work like Bitcoin or like, or Ethereum for that matter. And the if things you look that are at the, important. Like that stuff is, is, is the product. And so when you invest in that stuff, then there is something you can use. It's tangible and you can start playing with it. You can do stuff with it. But I'd say the average investor, the average listener only heard projects about things that were, that just didn't exist. And so, and that's, and that's, and that, and those, a lot of the marketers that joined because all of those campaigns, all those tokens had basically a team around them, which included marketing. And so mm-hmm. the majority of the marketers that were in the space only sold a dream. Yeah. But if you, if you are a marketer and you're listening, like stop selling dreams, you don't have to sell dreams to bring successful light onto your company. Right? Like w- when I was teaching and I would show my students and, and we had extra time and it was like tutoring or whatever. And they were like, Mr. Ferguson, tell me about this Bitcoin thing. I would go straight to blockchain.info and I would show them the transactions happening in real time. I was like, this is money moving around the world. Doesn't need a bank, 
doesn't mean anyone. This is people paying people. You can at least come to that conclusion that it's people paying people around the world. And they're like, wow, all those transactions happening that fast? And I was like, yes, that's not even fast. That's seven transactions per second. Well, that's that's real cool. Guess, they're not, guess what you you're need not marketing anything, though. You're just highlighting a feature. How am I not marketing anything? I'm just explaining to them the reality of a thing and then showing it to them. All right. Like Coca-Cola doesn't need to say, we're going to make a soda pop that is going to heal arthritis. No, they say, here's our tasty beverage. Look at it. It's a tasty right, beverage. Right, you're educating. You're educating, though. You're not selling anything. Like I'm talking about product launches. You're talking about educating people on how something works. Not now a marketer. Yeah, a marketer can't run user acquisition campaigns until the product is out, until people can download it or buy it. So all you can do is build interest or do research or sharpen your messaging. That's all you can do. That's all anyone can do right now. Even in education, there's a little bit of you know how hard it is to get a group of 30 individuals excited about side angle side postulate? It's very hard. You gotta sell it a little bit. All right. Well, you gotta be you gotta get creative. All right. Well then the solution to this is what? Have products? Guess the solution guess what, is to guess talk what you about need, the reality. Guess what you need for that type of stuff? A product. You need developers. Yeah. All right. So all those people that are annoying that actually give a shit about building things, they're, they're actually, you know, kind of foundational in all the other stuff that comes afterwards. And it comes we full circle. Cause I, we need those. I'm saying. We need those developers, things. but you need the people that are going to buy those things. And I feel like they're alienating people by getting annoyed when people talk about price and developments. Well, maybe it's just that they, they realize that there is no product and they're trying to build the product and people are asking them about how they can invest and all this other stuff that doesn't exist. Like, man, just leave me the fuck alone so I can build something that I can sell. I don't know. Might be it. I think it'd be interesting uh, for like a psychologist to really dive into this. Which is why I'm excited about Casa. Casa Hoddle. I don't know what the hell that is. Uh, Carolyn Rakow left. The consensus oh, that goes Jameson's. dark. And with Jameson Lop and uh, it's in powerhouses. They they left all their companies to go work on this thing called Casa Hoddle that is private private key management, or as they've coined it, which I think is a very very twist on it, personal key management. Um, I haven't really heard that phrasing before, but it is does seem like something that could get traction. And she, the only reason I bring her up is because she, she, her background is in psychology and she's not like technically rooted. Um, and I just, I like her opinion on things. So anyways, but last thing I want to add is like, you know, like Tron is stealing shit from other people and all that. I think a lot of people are buttoned up about it because they want to be responsible for what they share with secrecy out of fear of someone stealing their white paper or stealing an idea uh, that could be a strategic mistake, and it might prevent them from leveraging, you know, resources, or uh, they might not share some elements of their product early on out of fear of that. So, if you're a marketer, you know how. When do you start marketing your product before it's ready for the market? And a lot of these companies don't have a marketer that can advise them on that, so they hire someone like Jeremy Epstein, who can be an advisor and do all this. And I think this place needs less advisors, more in-house marketers. 
because they all have the same problem in common. You know, they can damage their own product launch or they can enhance it and make it more successful. Nobody is, nobody's at the finish line yet. So nobody knows how to do it. There's no blueprint for it. Hmm. And in five years, deal. in five years, there's not going to be any Jeremy Epstein's. I can guarantee you that. That will be fleshed out. They're all going to be working for him. I disagree. I think that I, there's I always going to be a market for people to, you know, get advice on how to craft their message. Like he's he's more of I'd, I'd say an elite marketer that can help other marketers. Oh, exactly. He's on this throne, and there's like ten companies underneath him that he can advise, and he's he's taking advantage of this time right now. It's great because we're early, but when products are launching and people are ready. They're not, they're not going to need these advisors up on top of the mountain looking down at them, telling them to do this, that, and this. That's Well, that's my theory anyway. So this is true. Um, we've gone along. It's been a very, very good talk. We're going to have to really wrap it up fast when we come back, but we need to cut to the interview. So, Chell, do your thing. Yeah, we have uh, Felipe, Felipe Santana mm-hmm. from Brazil. Brazil. Uh, is the co-fundador da Paracha. Parachi. I probably butchered that. Parachi. Yeah. You should probably do that. Co-fundador. Is that co-founder in Portuguese? Yeah, co-fundador. Um, and it's a, like co-founder. a video platform. Co-founder. Decentralized YouTube buzzword buffet. Uh, yeah. <laughs> video, video media sharing with, you know, mon- you can monetize your own videos in the way that you'd like to. Token curated registries, definitely. good stuff. I mean, Felipe's smart. He's he's definitely. I've read a lot of his blogs since we've had him on, and he's he's got some really good stuff on kind of fundamentals of token curated registries and things like that that people are kind of caring about, and like breaking yeah, down. I, I think a lot of the like the like trying to categorize a lot of the pieces of things in the Ethereum community. Does a good job. Mm-hmm. That's that, I think that's one of the reasons why I wanted him on here, if I could be completely honest, is like he's building something that someone with his knowledge wouldn't necessarily build. You know, whenever someone's like, oh, we're going to, you know, take on YouTube, it's usually some dingus who's just gotten the space three months ago. <laughs> so I was really surprised. Like, this guy is enthralled in the community. He knows what he's talking about. He's doing his research, and he's, he's continuing mm-hmm. to get better. So I, I thought it was really interesting. Let's not sleep on Valerian. Pop Chess is still around. They're still working. Yeah. Yeah. Anywho. Um, here it is. All right. Today we are speaking with Lipe all the way from Brazil, co-founder of a company that empowers the creative middle class and fosters next-gen monetization models to save online video from having the same fate as TV. Welcome to the show, Felipe. Hi guys, it's a pleasure to be here. Uh, I really appreciate the invitation, and I'm excited. I'm excited to be talking to you guys. Hope it's going to be fun. Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, you know, we always kind of start these uh, episodes kind of cliche, but uh, why don't you tell us a bit about yourself and how you kind of got bit by the decentralization bug, crypto, the whole nine, and how that kind of led you down the road to us speaking together today? Yeah. So. Basically, my first contact with crypto was way back in 2014, and it was not with Bitcoin, unfortunately, because that would have made things much easier. It was actually because I was running a crowdfunding campaign at the time for a book that, I've, that I had written, 
And then I looked a lot into alternative crowdfunding models and went on to research a little bit about MasterCoin and then got a little bit excited about those ideas and how they were like proposing to rethink equity and so on. And then I came to dive into Bitcoin and then on the next year I came to learn more about Ethereum. And as I was working in the traditional uh, advertising and film production industry, I just felt uh, the latent need for some of the things that were being proposed, like on the other, on this other side of things, on the technological side of things. Uh, and then since the end of 2015, I just started to work in on, on, on Parati with some of the guys that are my co-founders here in Brazil. Towards 2016, we established the team, and then since then we've been trying to see what we can do with uh, Ethereum and tokenization, basically to reach to a point where we have more sustainable models than the ones we have today for monetizing web content. So, so basically, that was it. Go ahead. Hello? Go ahead. I didn't mean to interrupt you. Yeah, so basically, that was it. I began to learn about it because of, of, of the crowdfunding aspect of it. So I studied a lot about ICOs in the beginning. Uh, we didn't do an ICO at Parity. We don't plan to do one, but I must admit I am excited about the, the potential of this crowdfunding model. But then, of course, as as it happens with all of us, when you learn about Bitcoin and when you learn about what a sovereign, uh, nonsense, non-sensible store of value can do for the world and for society, uh, you learn to distinct, distinguish things which are here and present and applicable right now at this moment and things which are still social experiments uh, and that have promises embedded into them. So yeah, I've been in this space for some years and trying to be a little bit more active in the past year, especially in the Ethereum community. Yeah, I'm, uh, I'm kind of curious about your experience in Brazil and the sentiment around trying to get people um, around the technology, which, which, what's it been like when you try to explain this to other people? When I lived when I lived there, when we started this podcast about oh, a little over three years ago, um, we st- I, was, I was living in San Jose dos Campos, and it was very difficult for me to explain the concept of these things. There wasn't a lot of um, reception or nearly as much reception or, or, or awareness of Bitcoin or anything around it um, back then. Has that changed over time? It, was, I, was I wrong back then? And it was still vibrant maybe in Sao Paulo where you are? Like How, how is that? No, you are right, certainly. Uh, I'd say that since, I don't know, 2012 or 2013, we have been uh, seeing a lot of exchanges emerge. We have been seeing communication like invade mass media very slowly, especially after 2016, I guess. But we've had some incidents in the past with one of the major exchanges here in Brazil, which arguably spread some misinformation to the population in general. So we took some time to recover from that, uh, I guess. Nowadays, there's more people that are looking into these things as the government has announced some pilot projects with Ethereum. And there are some Brazilians which are in the Ethereum Foundation since the beginning. So I think that in general, uh, Ethereum itself has landed in Brazil in a software way than the first years of Bitcoin here. But now in 2017 and in this year, uh, a lot of new exchanges emerged and we have a lot of education going on in mass media. So things are getting better, adoption is getting better, and I guess like we have over one percent of the population already with with crypto accounts. So it's changing. Oh, 
It's rated one percent, well, over one percent. That's good to hear. Um, I don't well, think it's that way globally. Well, it's it's a. I mean, Brazil is a, a little more unique. What the hell's calling me? Uh, sorry. But it, it's phone is going. What nuts. I was curious though is because uh, Corey was telling me in, in Brazil it, it works a lot differently than it does in America, and it was interesting to see how jurisprudence can affect technology, like the stuff that you're building. Um, and then I read that you, you know, in Brazil, WhatsApp is ubiquitous. It'll get shut down by a judge a couple times a year when they don't cooperate in some court case. Has <laughs> has your portal or or any of uh, your services been affected by the local laws there? No, not yet. Uh, luckily, or hopefully, actually, we are incorporated legally in Estonia, so not in Brazil. So we've taken the path to do that. Uh, WhatsApp is a very good example that you brought up. This has happened a few times. There's one example that's way more illustrative in our case, I guess, which is the one that like Brazil had the, they say it was the first social uh, self-publishing video website in the world. It was called Videolog. Mm -hmm. It was earlier than, than YouTube and it was growing in popularity. All was going fine. But then one day a very popular actress in Brazil uh, had a video of herself doing something she shouldn't be doing in the beach with her boyfriend and this leaked mm -hmm. and was uploaded to the site. They had a lot of audience and then the, the judges just told them that they had to, to shut the site down. But YouTube was already existing even though it was smaller. Uh, but since it was in the US, it didn't, it didn't need to take the video out. So it just exploded in popularity. Like in one week, surpassed this other site and this other site died like after a year, never recovered. So legislation here is not favorable for entrepreneurs and for innovation when it comes to technology in general. There's a lot of rent-seeking ha habits incrustated in, in the bureaucratic processes. Like, I guess, Corey, you've seen some of it. It's just not oh, nice yeah. and not easy to, to be oh, an entrepreneur yeah. here. So we've taken the path to establish ourselves legally in Estonia and get some tranquility on that side. It's kind of unfortunate, she, uh, but maybe, maybe she... fortuitous uh, about, like, because it's difficult um, for people to um, get things done, if you will, uh, officially in Brazil, it may force that kind of early adoption of the technology. Like you said, you already have you know over one percent adopting because not only is it, is it difficult to do things, but it allows you like using this allows you to open up your um, potential customer base across the globe. Um, you go through Estonia and and, and then. When you receive crypto, you, you're not um, succumb to a lot of the the price changes and inflation that happens with the real, which I experienced firsthand with you know, like the, the U.S. valuation of my paycheck going like 30 percent in the over the two years I was there. Like the fact that you are exposed to this type of thing gives people a much better vehicle for holding on to the money that they earn, um, while not like having to really worry about whether or not the paycheck that they get is able to feed them the next month or whatever it is, depending on what the, what they need. Is that something that you've experienced or, or, or a sentiment between um, the people who are investing or, or, or putting some of their money into crypto? Yes, and it's certainly a, a thesis I agree with and a story I, I believe wholeheartedly. It's just been really hard to sell it in the past months, like saying to people that they'll be able to keep on to their holdings if they're holding crypto. But regardless, uh, <laughs> it's, about, it's about sovereignty. It's about sovereignty. It's about uh, mm -hmm. fle flexibility of, of options that you have and the ability to, to transact, with, transact with whoever you want. It's about being able to establish attribution rights. 
for content, for instance, and not having to wave away rights to monetize on top of your stuff uh, at the beginning. Uh, it's about uh, a whole paradigm shift. So it's not only about stability, and we will have stable coins for that specific uh, case, I hope. Um, but there's a whole new way that this kind of money to say so can be better. And this is what we're trying to teach people little by little, always remembering them that this is still an experiment. Yeah, I think that's the part that people don't understand is that however far cryptocurrency has come in 10 years, 10 years is not a long time for a currency. And it's definitely not a long time for an economic experiment. And um, that's it's either on huge price spikes or these price lulls, troughs that we're in, where I get the most private messages from my friends and family, like, what should I do? You know, what what's happening with the price? What's happening with this? And I'm like, well, you know, this is something I told you from the jump, that this is volatile and this is new. So, you know. If you're going to treat it as an investment and, and hope that it stores value, you need to give it some time. So that's just my two cents. I'll get off my soapbox now. <laughs> yeah, and it, and there's always the the need or the the importance of reminding people that it's also important to spend. Like specifically in the case of Bitcoin, I have a friend that says that for him, the sacred percentage is 80% hold and 20% spend. So. We also have to encourage people to spend, to transact, and to, to, to make this useful. Definitely. I have a question that I think everyone wants to know the answer to, and that is, do the majority of Brazilians feel that Blanca is a misrepresentation of them? <laughs> I, think that I would say that the new generation wouldn't even understand your question and just point to the Overwatch character that the Brazilian guy has made it. <laughs> Definitely better than Blanca, I would say. Yeah. I just remember growing up as a kid and I was like, man, what the hell is going on in Brazil? <laughs> if that's what they're bringing to the tournament. <laughs> a monster. But anyways, uh, so on to real questions. Let's, let's talk about uh, Parati. Did I say that right? Parati? Parachi. It's like the name okay. after the city. Yes. Have you been there? Yes, I have. I love it. I went, uh, my wife has a, a particular um, form of cachaça that she only drinks. It's, it's the Gabriella. And you can only Cold get it at Parachi. And it's, it's so good. It's yeah, cinnamon and uh, Covey, or uh, was it canela and, and what's the other one that's in it? Cloves. Yeah. It's, it's, yeah, it's what do you think? So what good. do you think? Do you think this is a name that's going to be hard to market for people that aren't familiar with uh, Brazil cities and culture? <laughs> it is a good question, and we've had uh, people saying that it sounds like parity to me the best. Uh, but if you just pronounce it parity or parity or parachi or anything, I think it works. And we might uh, like build applications with different names on top of it in the future too. But anyway, it's. If, do you think it's really hard to pronounce and it's it's bad no nope, i don't but i guess i speak Portuguese, I mean, so it's <laughs> nobody knew what the word google was and now it's a it's a damn way of life so i i think whatever you decide to name your thing i actually think it's better that it's foreign to people well, it, it, it almost forces a learning curve go ahead 
what people don't say is it Google or is it Goggle? You know, I could say is it Parati? Is it Pareti? Is it you know? You know what I'm saying? So if it, not that it, it doesn't have to be a word out of the dictionary, but I think people should be able to 100% be able to to pronounce it correctly. But you guys probably know what you're doing well, more than the, me. Who's the market? Is it is it Brazilians your primary market? Well, if you mean primary in terms of timeline, yes, we're starting to, to communicate with Brazil first. But uh, yeah, the audience is global, and we don't want to focus solely in Brazil. But in the beginning, we do want to focus on Brazilian creators. Well, then that's that's immediately recognizable to your initial audience. I mean, Parachi is, is something that everyone in Brazil knows. There we go. Yep. There's the aim behind it. So, so Parachi is is basically trying to usurp the YouTubes of the world, which there is only one YouTube of the world, right? Just make it a little bit easier for content creators to make more money from the content that they create. And I hate yeah. to miss on that. Yeah, the vision and the mission is very much along this line. Uh, not like in terms of tooling creators, not necessarily in terms of observing YouTube, because they do their job like amazingly well for for what they do. They've built this incredibly complex machinery, which is also very hermetic, but they serve well like the 500,000 of creators that they have there. The only part, one of the issues is that they optimize for the top creators. Like if they have a group of guys that are uh, held like as more well-regarded by advertisers that are like the superstars of the internet or simply their top 1% creators, they just use the algorithms to divert audience to them and to like prioritize these guys and to optimize for these guys so that they can uh, scale their audiences more quickly, generate more profits, and distribute more dividends, and make their shareholders shareholders happy. And that's fine, but uh, the consequence is that you have like the remaining 99% not getting the full value out of what they produce. And again, YouTube is an amazing tool that have, has allowed these guys to at least express themselves to the world and to, to, to talk to the world. But the problem with this... Uh, one of the problems with all these platforms that we have for what we call self-publishing is that as soon as you like register your attribution or your ownership of something, as soon as you upload a video and say, this is mine in any of these platforms, whenever you want to monetize it, you are going to, by default, have to share some of its, of its revenue with the platform or with the owner of this registry and this attribution database to say so. So what we're trying to do is an attribution protocol and a curation uh, scheme that allows anyone to just say, hey, I'm the owner of this, this is my piece of content, even if it's going to be freely shareable or if I'm going to charge for people to watch it, uh, this is mine and this is how rights and procedures are going to go. And then from then on, uh, we hope to offer like as many monetization tools we can from the simplest ones, from tipping or advertising or subscriptions to more complex things that only crypto allows and where we believe there's a big opportunity for experimentation. And uh, as you said in the beginning, for finding like the next monetization models for content because uh, advertising uh, works up to a certain extent and we know what are its consequences. Subscriptions work up to a certain extent and we know what are its consequences. But uh, I think there's still a long road and a lot of things to be experimented with. You mentioned uh, curation protocol. Can you discuss that? I think I find that kind of interesting. The, the way you do, the way you bring good content to the surface, um, helps 
it helps realize help maybe help people realize why this is so different um and that's that's an important way to see how something can scale to see if like what type of content gets pushed to what type of people and how it gets there and with the incentives aligned with um how that happens like you said like right now it's all centralized and they push it to um the the top you know the top producers whereas um, a distributed system can kind of um, allow the content that to to flow to the people it's supposed to flow to through the way it's curated can you talk about that a little bit yeah sure so distributed curation is something that me and a lot of people have been fascinated for some time it's been tried out uh, since i don't know for for many years now even like reddit or the old uh, forum-like platforms do it in some sense. Steemit tried to do it and does it in some sense with its upvotes, downvotes, and what they call the, the proof of brains. Uh, and I think in general, there's a, a broader mov movement in these token designs. Uh, and if I sound too presumptuous, presumptuous, just interrupt me, sorry for that. But I think there's a general movement or a broader movement of tokens that uh, align themselves with this kind of proof of human work philosophy, which which is basically like, uh, okay, we have a network here and we want to incentivize those who provide proofs that they've, they've provided some form of work, but this work is not necessarily objective. It can be like helping allocate attention or uh, actually helping us future content that's like this or that's like that, or helping sort the right content for the right people, or in the case of Numerai, uh, helping analyze uh, a lot of data and make predictions. Uh, so there's a lot of different uh, works that are not so objective as the proof of work mining that these networks are trying to incentivize now. And one of the mechanisms that I think that fit into this description a little bit is that of token curated registries. So the guys at AdChain started to work with this uh, a couple of years ago, I guess. And a token curated registry is basically a list where any token holder can make an application, like to put an item in this list and where any token holder can adjudicate over this list, basically by saying this should be here or this should not be here in a in a sequence of steps that's a little bit complex. Uh, and then each list has its focal points or its rules or its rule set. And so basically the Parati registry, it's a generic list with the focal point of not hosting anything that's uh, copyright infringing or illegal under local applicable laws. So it's a generic content that aims to a generic registry that aims to just weed out uh, copyright infringing content, basically. And then the modifications we are doing on this original design of this token curated registry pattern are in that sense and in the direction of allowing people to deploy sublists so that they can like create custom collections uh, with their own rule sets. So you can like create a sublist with videos that are only about surfing and then another one which is only about girl surfing and so on and this can be useful for curation or for advertisers or for other purposes and we're also exploring another modification with, which has to do with the ability to add stakes towards other items in this registry or towards other videos and this is how uh, we will be able to discern like which videos have more stakes or less stakes or more stakes under the surfing category or less stakes under the, um, I don't know, software programming courses category and so on. So the basic framework derives from this uh, TCR design pattern and we are basically exploring modifications to make it cater better to ever deepening categorization once the original design is very, very strict 
even though it's robust, it's strict uh, in the sense that you're either in or out of a list. So there's a lot of people at this moment exploring granularity in this in this sense. Mm -hmm. uh, How's the uh, the public testing going on the portal? Is it pretty successful so far? It's been it's been pretty successful so far. To be frank, the the IPFS network which we're using to store and distribute files like SSCDN has a lot of bottlenecks still, so we have problems with uploads sometimes. And the whole curation part of the things, even though the backend is, is done, we're still doing the front end. So people are not yet actively curating videos. This should be up by the end of the month, like in a test mode. So we're actually going to experience uh, with how the public interacts with this, uh, what are their judgment calls, and how bad is the UX, because we know that in theory it all sounds great, even though there's a lot of things to iron out. But in the real world, uh, there's a lot, a lot, a lot of tweaking to be done from security provisions to UX to communication to, to everything, because these things have to be used in the end of the day. It's not just about theorizing. Good deal. The thing I like most about platforms like yours is that um, I've kind of been a little bit obsessed lately about the idea of like productivity and as humans in general become, we create these processes and machines that make us more productive. What do we do with the rest of the time when we're not working? And as the work week gets shorter and we become more and more efficient at these things that we do, less, less and less people are going to work as much. They're just going to have more time to do things. And I think platforms like yours kind of help us start that grand conversation of like, well, what is valuable? What am I going to pay for? What am I going to offer up to the world that I get paid for? Is it just content? Am I, am I teaching things? Am I teaching techniques? And I think, I think platforms like yours open up the door because you're, you're basically telling YouTube, like, you don't get to be the middleman anymore and, and, and soak away these value from these content creators. And it kind of forces people to find their number, uh, to find their value by themselves. Uh, and so I guess the question that I'm asking in all this is, is on your platform, how do you make it easy for people to find their number? And it's kind of a serial question, but the reason I'm saying that is like middlemen exist for a reason, right? The musician back in the 40s didn't know what his music was worth. Some guy in a suit comes up to him and says, hey, put your name on this paper and I'll make sure that you get some money for your music. And he's just happy so long as he gets some money. He doesn't care if the guy in the suit is getting a lot more, he's just happy he's getting some money. Now, fast forward to 2018, musicians are a lot smarter, a little bit more business savvy. Um, so how do you help a content creator be a little bit smarter and understand, you know, some of those landmines that, that, that YouTube is putting in the way? Yeah, it's a very, very good question because I think it has some different components, like the communication side of things. How do you tell people that their data is valuable uh, in the first place? And it goes all the way down to the UX and to product market fit and like which kind of app is the right one or which kind of interface is the right one for people to realize this. First of all, as I said in the beginning, I don't think anybody's going to observe YouTube in the long, in the, in the short term. Uh, what I think we're going to see and we are already seeing with Patreon and with all these alternative like revenue streams for creators is people that are putting their work in other places and trying to find alternative means of earning money. 
And I think uh, as soon as these like video courses platforms start to integrate crypto, more people start to use platforms like Parati or music musicians start to use platforms like Ujo, people will start to realize that uh, not necessarily are going to make a lot of money as you as as if you would if you were like a top superstar on YouTube right now at these platforms, but the upside of being a pioneer and of being in these platforms in an early moment is exactly like the, the upside that they that they promise, which is the upside of being among early adopters. Let, let's illustrate that with a with a with a real case example. So there's this singer, this composer called Emotion Hit, which launched like the first single or the first song on Ethereum a couple of years ago in Ojo. Yeah, she was on our show. Really? Cool. Mm -hmm. And they sold like a, a small amount of copies of that song, like a very small amount in dollars, if you compare that to the, to the industry. But then if that was held in Ether two or three years ago, that's like worth, I don't know, 200 grand or something like that. So. Uh, her pioneership was compensated. And I'm not saying this is going to happen with other platforms and other tokens. What I'm saying is that people who are in this early are going to see opportunities way earlier and are going to find novel monetization models way earlier. Like we haven't seen yet a creator which has uh, deployed a token with, with dynamic pricing for access to its content. And I, I'm a big believer that whenever someone does that, uh, there's a high chance that a lot of people will actually buy this and access this content and earn money and actually earn for helping surface good content. But again, it's too early. So for now, to answer the, the question very pragmatically, uh, basically we're helping creators who are either algorithmically very disfavored on YouTube or other platforms, or who cannot communicate because their content is not uh, favored at all. Like if they're LGBT and YouTube is blocking LGBT videos down here in Brazil, uh, we're basically looking at these guys and bringing them to our platform and establishing their communities in our platform because that's the immediate utility that it has. And then as soon as we start to integrate first tipping and then subscription and then these more complex models, uh, we will start to see, I think, a real influx of people that are actually looking for money for alternative revenue streams. And that should be happening towards, I don't know, the end of the year probably as with a lot of other projects that are also in the, in the video and content monetization space. Yeah, I see this. I mean, I've all looked into something along the lines of like um, e-games, like uh, e-sports. So that could be a lot of do that a lot of money is made through um, people streaming sports like, or, or playing games or something like that. And something that has monetization built in a platform like yours could benefit. Maybe make, people who create that type of content could benefit from a platform like yours. Yeah, Twitch has, has shown like a resurrection of tipping, I guess, because people spend so much money on that and they have gamified, with, gamified it so well, it's like a marvel to see. And Medium has reshaped its, its monetization model for its content over the past years after they tried or didn't want to try with advertising and took a long time to find the right subscription model. But uh, the point is, yeah, a lot of people are trying new things Sometimes we seem to be a little stuck on the on the trilemma between pay-per-view advertising and subscriptions, but I'm excited as for crypto opening up new ways of us playing this game, not by the rules, but writing the rules. I find that fascinating. Have any of you grown adults here ever tipped a video game player for playing a video game that you liked? Be honest. No. 
and I'm I'm an avid game fan. I watch a lot of Dota 2 and things like that. And um, I don't think I've ever tipped someone for streaming. I may have subscribed <laughs> to somebody that cost maybe like five bucks or something like that, but I've never never tipped. What about you, Felipe? I've tipped bank bank chain cam girls recently. Have you tried it? <laughs> <laughs> this man is honest. That's different. That's a whole different ball game, my friend. But it's not. That I is not the same I thing. I haven't given out any spanks yet. <laughs> you should definitely give it a try. It's a nice. Pick. Yeah, we've uh, we interviewed Amin a while back on on Block Channel. Me and D did, and uh, because the guy who runs Block Channel, Stephen Mackey, was roommates with Amin, so of course there was immediate access to talking to him. And uh, it was that guy's wild, but he's got yeah. he's got a really good platform. Like Spank Chain is a is a is a solid tech behind um, a use case that's probably never going to go away. Mm-hmm. What about you, Tello? Have you ever tipped a gamer? I mean, I've I've watched uh, monetized videos of people streaming games, so they they got paid indirectly from me. Well, I'm talking about directly. Some you no, you're watching no. somebody. Okay. So then, uh, and also, while it was brought up, I don't think people should pay for porn either. So I'm just. <laughs> You're not one of them young ones, Cello. Them young ones like to like to like to be in in the live. It's interactive. I mean, man. it's interactive. I mean, if you want a cam girl to like say your name, and I get it, but I mean, there's so much free content out there. I don't. I, I don't get it. I'm not the demographic, I guess, because Spank Chain is doing pretty good. I remember at DevCon, I said out loud on the floor, people who pay for porn, it doesn't make sense. And I got a lot of angry glares and confused looks. <laughs> so I'm, I obviously don't know what I'm talking about. So. Did you have porn on your phone for free that you showed them at the same time? You're like, look, I, I, I could have pulled it up in a hot second. But <laughs> <laughs> so the only reason I ask that is because I have this theory like that only kids are paying for things irrationally on the Internet. And they're getting their parents' credit card, mm-hmm. and their their parents are giving them another allowance, and they're spending it on this stuff. Because YouTube has the people with the most views are these random kid videos of like kids finger painting, and it's like 10 million views, and it's like who's watching this shit? <laughs> and it's like it's not random, my friends. It's not huh? random. What's up? So what I've learned is like these these videos that seem random they tap into the algorithms of other popular kid videos. And that's how, cause you know, my daughter Ophelia is three and she finds all those videos on her own without my help. And she's tapping into the algorithms and the SEO and the keywords that they put behind the videos. So it, I mean, you're not going to create a video and accidentally get 10 million hits that, you know, there's, there's a formula behind it and it's sneaky. Yeah, it's a fair point, but I find the theory very interesting that child tend to spend more. Like I think putting it this way, that young people tend to spend more. I think it's even more reasonable to, to conceive it. Like if you look at the, the numbers, uh, like I don't, I don't have the exact ones in my mind, but it's something like in America, about like 20% or 25% of children between three and four years old already have their own device. And then that goes up to like 50% if you get children five or six year olds. So it's, it's every parent gives a, a tablet or an iPhone to, to child and uh, yeah. I'm guilty of that. Yeah, probably. And these yeah, videos, yeah, these videos are, are mostly machine-made, these long, manufactured, weird, surreal, kid-oriented videos. 
and they cater for like long watch times and other stuff that the algos uh, optimize for. And it's weird, weird to see it. Like, but, just, but back to the point that Dee was making, because I was talking about these algorithms. How is your file distribution done? Is it done in a different way than YouTube would be? So file distribution and the algorithms for for recommendations are different. Mm -hmm. Like as for file distribution, YouTube uses their servers and uses a CDN network to distribute stuff. We rely on IPFS for storing stuff and on IPFS as a CDN basically mm -hmm. for this moment. Doesn't mean we're committed to it forever. It just means that it's the solution we find the most decentralized, secure, and fast and efficient for now, for what we're doing. As for algorithms for recommendation itself, so we begin with attribution, which is allowing people to say this is mine and for people to judge over that basically, and with staking, which allows people to basically indirectly recommend stuff to others by saying I trust this or I like this. And this, then we have lists and we can show like different lists with their contents ranked uh, in different interfaces. And in this alpha portal that we have, that's just a standard uh, like application for starting content and uploading content, we might just showcase these lists and ask for people to choose the lists that they want to see showcased, which are going to bring up the most relevant content in them. But that's very primitive and we know, and uh, we know that YouTube's algos are as huge and powerful as they are because it works and because they're convenient for us. Uh, but we believe that there's going to be some overlap and that there's other projects that are looking specifically at uh, some specific kinds of recommendations. Uh, so to be very frank with you, we want to go with a primitive version of things in the beginning, not overcomplicate, but uh, look into integrating with user feeds or some of the others of these other projects which are looking more into like user tailored recommendations because there's security issues to address and a lot of complicated things. So um, early on, um, Ryan X. Charles was building a project called Yours. Um, it's still a project he built, but he pivoted to Bitcoin Cash. And the way that uh, a lot of the things that he wanted to do in terms of the curation model changed over, over time as he was moving from um, Bitcoin to Litecoin to Bitcoin Cash. And I was really excited about some of the things he was doing early in terms of his curation. He was basically incentivizing people to curate good material in hopes of potentially earning off of their early staking of, of, of content. So you could basically end up making money off bringing good content um, to the surface by, by betting on whether or not content would be good, basically. Um, and I did a lot of work in modeling that financial behavior of of basically the, the curation model that they they've talked about early on days. I'm curious as to like if you've looked at any any ways of like monetizing or incentivizing people to look for good content because um, I I, I kind of along the lines of D in that people aren't just going to pay free material and if you could almost gamify. Um, and incentivize a certain way people to look for quality content in various niches. Um, you can, you have an, another part of another side of the marketplace that can grow um, without just saying, you know, produce good content and hope that it works out. You have an army of people trying to find good content and bring it to the surface. Yeah, I'm completely in line with that, and I think that that's the goal. So we have devised this. Uh, reward structure and incentive structure, which basically gives inflationary tokens to people who have 
stakes active in the system. And the way for you to have stakes active in the system is either by publishing videos that are well, uh, like well regarded by the community that don't go against any policy, or by actively staking on other other people's videos, like saying, I trust this, I think this is good, hmm. and staking more on one or staking more on another, uh, and then not being slashed, like the video not being taken out because it's bad or not being uh, like diminished in popularity because it's not being watched. So yes, we are looking into into incentivizing this these kinds of things. And again, the hard part, I, I think, is not most about of course, there's a lot of work in fine-tuning and, and conceptualizing and specific, specifying and implementing these schemes. But I think the hardest part is in communicating this to people and make sure that it's understandable from a user experience point of view. Like YouTube pays 10,000 people to review over 2 million videos a month, I guess. Uh, that's a lot of people that basically scroll through videos and check if things are in line with copyright policies and if things aren't illegal. And yeah, they basically go over videos and do this work and it has a lot of value for YouTube because YouTube pays these people. And in some sense, what we're trying to do is uh, to take this power of, of paying for these people who have this power of decision to take it out of the hands of YouTube and distribute it. Uh, so yes, we're trying to look into that. For instance, when a guy finds early a video that of somebody that ends up becoming very popular and that a lot of people end up staking towards afterwards, uh, this guy is going to get uh, a big share of rewards too. Again, how do we make this very easy so that Corey, Marcelo, and the Matrix can just say, hey, I love this video. I just don't like it. I love it. And I want to bond some tokens to it and earn some future earnings on it. I think the key question is in making this understandable, feasible, secure, uh, and nice at the same time. When we get there, we'll have like a really nice, monetization feature and a really nice value proposition and that's where we're heading that's awesome to hear yeah. i look forward to i look forward to playing around on that I, I i i mean as content producers ourselves we don't do much video but i mean we understand that i guess the strife of making quality content and trying to monetize it like these types of platforms i see an immediate use for um whether it be written word audio video whatever it's 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 and if you can empower people to just make good content and make a living off of it, the quality of the content skyrockets and you don't have ads in the middle of it because the monetization schemes baked into it. And so it, it really shifts the way people try and make things and distribute that information to other people. And then how um, people who are interested in something can consume the best quality material um, the fastest. And so like, putting it, it like you've said or like you've mentioned and what I'm sure you're going through this stuff is really 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 hard to get right um, and get it all together or maybe it's not and I don't know like I feel like it's a really difficult problem it is it is like for instance a question from my side to you how has yours uh, curation been how has it been going has it been working well how, how is it now Oh, it's just they just pivoted to a paywall so it's it's there's a certain amount of free content and you can pay for reading the rest of it and that's it's a very simple scheme that um seems to be working for them the main issue that they had that they kept pivoting to is that it was too expensive to use and so the amount of money you needed micro payments um, for the paywall and the price of bitcoin was too costly to to allow that type of model to work and then for any type of tipping slash curation for um, content you would like it to be micro payment based so you can do small amounts 
and the advent of a lot of these, like this layer two solutions for a lot of these networks, you know, Raiden, uh, Micro Raiden, uh, Plasma, Lightning Network, things like that are enabling these types of models to actually come back into play so you don't have to worry about the price of a given coin elbowing you out in terms of your use case and your platform going to shit because people aren't going to pay a large fee to give someone five cents. Yeah, yeah, that has to be reasonable. And again, when you go to signatures and to the need to actually verify every single small transaction that you perform, uh, that incurs a lot of cognitive load. So there's a lot of work that has to be done on that front too. We do. Well, we have one last question that we'd like to ask. Uh, it's our it's our trademark question. And in ten words or less, can you describe blockchain? <laughs> Do I have three seconds to shorten my standard description? You yeah. already failed. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. You can you can take as long as much time as you need. It's just gotta be under ten words. So, or ten words or less. Okay, so a blockchain is a ledger for states, a database that's distributed among uh a lot of different nodes that don't necessarily trust each other. Above ten words, but I think it's simple enough. You got under twenty. I think if you take <laughs> away like a blockchain is, you might have hit it on the head. I'm not sure. I lost. <laughs> no, I'm counting 18 without a oh, blockchain. Right. I Never didn't mind. count a lot. <laughs> in a well, good deal. Felipe, well, obrigado. Thank you for coming on the show. We, uh, I'd like to see that, what is that? That, that Brazil. What did you just say just now? Obrigado. It's, it's thank you. They, they had a Brazil moment. Yeah. We had a connection. Oh. It sounds uh, like something Wario would say I, on I, Mario Kart. <laughs> I really, I really <laughs> am happy that Brazil is, is coming along and, and and contributing to the space and being much more receptive to this technology because it's a country that is is primed to take advantage of this and really benefit from what it has to offer. At least its people. So it's it's really nice to sit here. Thanks a lot. I'm very very happy to hear that because for us that are born here and have some sort of pride for this little country. Uh, it's also very important to like highlight what's being done here and to try to break down some barriers and make things easier for the next generations because it's a beautiful country, a huge market. And just like Argentina is at the forefront of crypto, we can be there if we work hard too. So thanks a lot for the opportunity. It's been super, super fun. Hope to get back one day. Awesome. And we are back. I hope you enjoyed the interview with Felipe Santana. Um, yeah, go use this. Go use his shit. Go tell him how. Go tell him how he's doing after you use it. He says he can handle feedback, so so give it to him. Um, can we say what the the website is? It's uh, Parachi Parachi Video Parachi Parachi Video. Yep. Spell that for the peeps. P-A-R-A-T-I-I dot video backslash join. There you go. If you didn't spell that, people would have put C-H. Yeah. Because of so, the T, like T's in, in Portuguese or something, or C-H's. 
Well, we talked about that in the interview. From I said, from a marketing standpoint, are you sure you want to call your company that? Well, I, I, that's said, why I asked him. Like, if you if you say <laughs> if you say Parachi in in, in Brazil, mm-hmm. everyone knows what it is. <laughs> you could feel the uh, the, the prices right. The boom boom boom. Wow! <laughs> Whenever he had to think about it, I was like, "Oh shit!" Cello, put him on. Put him in the on the, on the thought chair. Um. Yeah, did you guys have any talking points nah. for after? Nothing on the docket for after? Nah, not today. Anything you want to talk about? Yeah, I want to talk about what's your guys' opinion of that new Han Solo movie? I liked that. it, man. Y'all just going to the it. movies every day? What are y'all doing? How are y'all seeing all these movies? Movie pass, bruh! Oh. <laughs> I haven't seen it yet. I just wanted to know. I knew Cello I had. And a strong willingness to get away from my family. No, I'm, I'm kidding. A strong <laughs> willingness. No, I'm kidding. No, I just died. In my head, I saw you stiff arm one of your daughters as you go to the movies. Yeah. Dad, can I go to the nope. park? Nope. Wow. Hit him with stiff Dad's arm. Dad's going to the movies. <laughs> um, movie Pass is so dope that AMC is trying to rival it by charging twice as much for less service. Yeah. Good job. Me and D, we have to tell them about, I know this is extremely off topic, but how the local movie theater has this deal for like nine bucks a month, you get two tickets and 25% off your popcorn deal of the century. And like, it was, it was 20 (laughs) bucks for 20 bucks a month. Yeah. Here's how they sold it. It was so funny. It was like 20 (laughs) bucks a month. You buy one ticket, get the second one free. A month, and I was like, "Wait, so you just buy two tickets a month?" I feel like they just still trying to get me to buy two tickets a month. Like that's the same exact price. <laughs> but what did you say? But if you see that matinee, it's actually cheaper than the deal. Yeah, I was just sitting back, like this is not something I'd ever purchase. It's not a deal. And whoever, whoever <laughs> thought this up? It's like needs it's like when you go fired. to the grocery store and they say, like you know, four for twenty dollars or one for five. Yeah. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? That's like, no shit yeah. for for $20. That's that's for what the regular price is. <laughs> yes. All you did was just give me more work carrying grocery bags up. Like, I don't understand where the deal is. There. Movie, movie Pass needs to sponsor us. I'm tired of shilling them for free. Yeah. I'm excited about... Um, there is one thing that I am excited about, and that is... Uh, the Tron mainnet launch that is no, I'm kidding. I'm not excited about that whatsoever. Um, Justin Sun's doing things, buying BitTorrent because that's not weird. Um, yeah, we really got nothing. I guess we'll just wrap this up. So, thank you guys for listening for another week. Um, thanks you guys that listen to everything that um, the network is providing. Uh, we know that that um, you spend a lot of time in your week with us. And we appreciate that. Um, we're just going to keep feeding you content and um, chime into the Slack. So if you go to the, okay, is our link broken again? Like no, our link like, is like six six uh, new users yesterday. Like the link is broken. No, I used it yesterday. I even checked it. Well, that's good. I will say this: if you are a female and you join the Slack and you stay in the conversation, I will give you. Point one Litecoin every ten days. You're active in our Slack. No, that's gonna add up quick, homie. I would take that back immediately. I will not. That's not coming from our podcast. That's coming from your pocket. I that's will. Coming. I will. 
I will personally donate that, but I have the freedom to turn that offer off at any time I <laughs> off, want. Off or wow. off. I can turn that off or off anytime that I want. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Uh, yeah, the ladies just come in and they say hi and then disappear. Jessica, Jessica, and, Jessica and Liz have been talking quite a bit lately. Jessica, well, we, we had that really great lady who was in school, university abroad. She talked with Corey for a little bit. And mm-hmm. then, like, she never showed up again. And, like, I want those people to stay active in the community. Mm-hmm. Portia hasn't said anything in a long time. Haven't heard Portia anything from Cynthia stuff, in a while. So is Cynthia. She moved to Mexico, went freelance, and then got picked. She just got picked Green, up by... Uh, never really talked much. No. Portia just got picked up by uh, by Slocket. She's moving to Germany. Good on Portia. her. Yeah. Um, Slocket. They've laid really, they've done exactly what you should do after a debacle like the Dow and laid really, really low and just, just developed. So, um, EC donate.bitcoinpodcast.com. Give me money so I can give it to people who got hit by a bunch of water. Yeah. Uh, It's going well. Got like two and a half, two and a half ether in there couple litecoin from people within the slack i really appreciate all the people who have given so far i've what given charity is the this podcast again? has given it's the uh really I, Our charity? I, no i say this because uh, whoever you're giving that money to would they be down for a uh, like a phone call on the podcast to talk about what it was like getting crypto or how the developments were going that'd be kind of cool yeah i mean i haven't given it away yet i'm still like piling it up so I can make a larger a larger donation. I would like it so that when I give it to them, I can say, you know, the Bitcoin podcast and all of and all and all of its community has donated this to y'all to help try and fund the people who are affected by this flood. And that starts a conversation. And we can help like move forward on that and like make a difference. And I don't know, like I don't I don't want it to be I don't want it to be like, hey, thanks. And then it moves on. I would like it to be an amount that they say, oh, you know, this is going to make a difference, and I can you know exactly where this is going to go, and then we can kind of keep keep updating it in terms of like uh, on the I can change the website to see where that money's going, kind of what we did, things like that. And the more we get, the more of a reality that's going to be, especially if it's rolling. So I can say, here's the first check of of hopefully many as people continue to donate that we can mm-hmm. do to help people kind of get back on their feet after getting hit by the flood. Is there any way you can make Heal the World by Michael Jackson autoplay when people go to the website? I could, but then I'd be like Zanga and everyone just people people auto shut off immediately <laughs> yeah. when, when music starts playing when you go on a website. Tell me you don't. No one auto turns off Michael Jackson. All right. That's like a cardinal sin. <laughs> yeah. You, you at least gotta let it play for a minute or two, and then you then you're like, all right, Michael, thank you for blessing me. And then they turn it off. In fact, if I know someone who auto turns off Michael Jackson, I will defriend them. I was like, we can't be friends. You obviously don't understand humanity. He touched kids. Don't forget. Fuck out of here. Why you gotta say that, man? <laughs> Just let the man's legacy be great. All right. He touched kids symbolically, their hearts. Tell us about that reality. Tell us about that reality. All right. He touched their heart. Okay. That's it, guys. Uh the Bitcoinpodcast.com. That's where you find most of our stuff. We are spinning up the publication. Shout out to Jonathan Thompson. Thank you very much um, for for wanting to help us out with that. 
Um, I think he started in small with a week in crypto just so he can make sure he has his pulse on the industry. And then he's going to start doing more thought pieces. If you also want to contribute to the publication, uh, you know where to find us in the Slack. Uh, we say it like on all of our shows. Um, just the headers just came out. You can go listen to that. Crypto Until Infinity just came out. You can go listen to that. Uh, creating Humanist Blockchain Future is coming up soon. Hashing It Out is about to drop on you like almost immediately. You can listen to that. Um, plethora of content. Um, and I will say, uh, I, I will say, like, you know, why why should I listen to these different shows? Crypto to Infinity is going to give you a really chill playlist. He's also talking about Acon's new Acoin, you know, stuff that that we might not necessarily cover on this show. You know, just the headers has different content that we didn't talk about on this show. Hashing it out. If you want to hear more Corey, Colin, uh, different interviews. So there's try to pick your poison. Baskin and Robbins of the podcast land. What I mean? Mm-hmm. 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 Well, um, that's it guys. Uh, shout out to Zazie beats. Uh, play the outro.